How you get so much favor on your side? Accept the measure, Lord and Savior, I replied. That's your love, that neighbor, not the Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to His kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Before the ranch, I had horses in the garage. When the Forbes cover was just a mirage. They had me This morning, we are going to spend the majority of our time in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app or if you have anything like that, I would invite you to turn there. And actually, I would really invite you to do that because I'm actually going to ask you to, to do something today that I don't normally ask you to do. And, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to maybe even... If, if you don't take notes, to take notes, and if, if you don't mark up your Bible, to mark up your Bible, that we're going we're gonna to really focus our time on one real significant verse and break it down bit by bit, piece by piece. And so I want to invite you to, to do that. But we're, we're actually, the full scope of our text today is we're going to start in Genesis 1 and end in Revelation chapter 21. Um, so we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, but we're going to spend the majority of our time in First in First Peter. This week we are on week six. If you're if you're new with us this week, or if you're here for the first time in a while, um, we are on week six of an eight-week sermon series that where we're looking at the characteristics or the attributes of God who God is, and, and what that means for us as we serve a God who is all of these things. And we've talked about, the first week we began by looking at how God is not like us. That when we talk about God, we're not just talking about a different version of us, but that God is infinitely bigger, infinitely better, more than what we are, and we are not the same as God. Then we've talked about how God is good, how God is sovereign, how God is holy, and how God is wise. And this week, we're going to talk about what it means and how we can see in our lives that God is just. There are two questions that people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus, it doesn't really, make a ma doesn't really matter in this context, that can have real deep struggles with. There's two questions that we as human beings, whether we follow Jesus or whether we don't, can have real struggle with trying to understand in the world around us. Because regardless of your religious affiliation or beliefs or philosophical systems, these two issues seem very prevalent in the world and don't seem to make any sense. The first question is why do good things happen or why do bad things happen to good people? Give you a hint there for what the second question is. But why do bad things happen to good people? I know that every single one of us does not need to dig very hard to find an example of that question in our, in, in our lives. That in some context, we don't have to look very hard to say, yeah, I know a good person. And I know bad things that happen to them. And I don't know why. It doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem fair. That seemingly, someone is, seemingly something so not right and so not just. And anyone who looked at this situation would see it that way. 
That it's not just my closeness to the situation. It's not just that I really, really like them. But anyone who would look at this would say, something is off here. If God is fair, if God is just, if God is good, if God is sovereign, if God is wise, then why would this happen to them? Or why would this happen to me? And of course, the second question that goes along with that, I already let you in a little bit, why do good things happen to bad people? And I think that sometimes, as, especially as followers of Jesus, because we're told not to be jealous, that we don't verbalize this one as much, but sometimes some of us might struggle with it a little bit more. That we don't necessarily say, they don't deserve that, but we may think, they don't deserve that. that. That we can struggle with this idea of like, they're not good people. But good things just seem to keep happening to them. How does this work? And I think that we can struggle with these. And when you boil them down, these two questions for us, a lot of times it comes, boils down to the question of, is life fair? Is life fair? fair. Or the sentiment that these questions can lead us to is the sentiment that life isn't fair. That when we look and we see bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, we look and we say, it's just not fair. And we all know this to be true. Bad things happen to good people and sometimes the worst of us can appear to have the most success. And so then this leads us as followers of Jesus to a deep soul-searching question. If life isn't fair, and if we believe God to be the source of life, if life isn't fair, then is God fair? That if we, we as Christians, we will say, in him I live and move and have my being. That it's his breath in my lungs that has given me life. God is the creator of all life and life isn't fair. Connecting those dots. Is God fair? And it's a question that people, that religions, that philosophies and philosophers have struggled to rightly understand since the beginning of time. Trying to make sense of the seeming unfairness in this world and how can I reconcile that? But I think that for us to be able to understand God is just and God's justice and life being fair or life being unfair. I think to understand how all of these pieces fit together, we need to go back to the very beginning. And I mean the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When God created everything at the very beginning, at the very, very beginnings of God's creation, everything was perfect. Everything was just. Everything was without fault, blemish, or sin. Sin was not part of the world. Everything was right. But then there was a shifting, a changing in how things were perceived, and mankind decided to walk against what God wanted. In Genesis 3, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
in the perfect world at the very beginning, everything was right. Everything was just. Everything was the way that it should be. And then we have Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And the entirety of human existence that was and was to follow changed. In perfect world, there was no sin, there was no suffering, there was no selfishness, there was no tears. We get Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, which set the stage for this perfect world. But then in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters humanity and it becomes something that every single person now is born with. Our fallen sinful nature is not something that comes unnaturally to us. We as people, as innocent, sweet children take on the idea of sin and doing wrong full bore. With everything inside of us, we run headlong into it. We don't need to be taught to lie. We don't need to be taught to cheat. We don't need to be taught to be selfish. We revel in it. If you've got kids, you, you know, or if you've had kids, you know how quickly they embrace selfishness how quickly they can embrace lying. How It's not that they even, they have to, they take it on. And so in Genesis chapter three, where the perfect is shattered and the imperfect becomes what is now our state. And we have the first judgment on mankind. Now mankind consists of two, but we have the first judgment on mankind. It says in verse 23, the Lord God banished him, Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. We have God's first judgment on mankind. And then we move through the pages of Scripture and we see the establishment of Israel, God's chosen people. And then we have the turning from the Old Testament to the New Testament and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he makes a way in his life and death and resurrection to overcome our imperfect state. And then we have the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel throughout the world, which then brings us to today. How is that for summing up? A lot. But today isn't where scripture ends. That we don't get the spread of the gospel throughout the world and then that's it. But scripture will talk about what is to come. The second coming of Jesus at the end of time. The second judgment of mankind. The first in Genesis chapter 3. The second in Revelation chapter 20. And there's a great white throne and Jesus sits on it, and it's judgment for all of mankind, those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And it says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fill, or fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as, a court, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. The death, or then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown 
into the lake of fire. As you read through the book of Revelation, what you discover is the first time that Jesus came, he came as a savior. And the second time that Jesus comes, he comes as a judge. And we read that he will make everything right. He will balance the scales. Everything will be fair. And then you can turn your page in your Bible from Revelation chapter 20 to Revelation chapter 21, and we see a new heaven and a new earth where we go back to the way that it was intended to be, that everything is now brought back into the created perfection of God where, where everything is now lived the way that it's supposed to be. Life is restored to the perfection of Genesis chapter 1 again. And so what we're given as followers of Jesus, is a picture that in this cosmic, long enough timeline sense, that in fact God will make everything just. That, that we have this hope and this understanding that one day, if we wait long enough and we don't know how long it will be, that everything will be made just. But if we're honest for a moment... You and I, we can't wait that long. We don't live comfortably knowing that someday, one day, everything will be the way that it's supposed to be. We don't want to wait until the end of time. Because we don't know when that will be. And you and I, we want our justice now. We, we need our answers now. We need, we need to know that what's happening now. I don't want to wait for God to fix this. I want it fixed. I don't want good, bad things to happen to good people. I want it to be fixed. And we can, we can know that one day it will all be right. But we can try and live there. But it's going to not be easy. But what we do know is that God is just and God is righteous. But you and I, we are still living in that time between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation 20. That, that we're still living in that time frame. Revelation 20 has not happened yet. Genesis 3 has. So we are still living in that space. And we are still in this imperfect fallen world. And so what we perceive to be places and situations and people that need God's justice doesn't happen in our way right away. And sometimes, which can be in our sinful fallen world so very, or very frustrating, sometimes in our world, God's justice doesn't even seem to come at all. We're faced with the situation that we know is not right. We trust and believe that it'll be made right. And then the situation is concluded. It's not right that they're sick. They should be healed. And then they're not. It's not right that this is happening to this person. They have done nothing to deserve this. And it's never corrected. So... What we have to do with our time left today is we need to wrestle with the question, and Janessa talked about this, how do we trust a God 
that calls himself just and righteous when so much of what we see happening can bother us so quickly. Janessa said, we need to trust in God, and she's right. But when I look around, sometimes it can be more difficult to look and go, I see all of this, and I'm going to trust anyway. Psalm 97.3 tells us, Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. What is right, what is just, this is what God's throne is built on. God as the ruler, God as the king, God as the sovereign, all-powerful, righteous God sits on a throne made of justice and righteousness. And the Bible really does make a point of driving home this characteristic of God. Job 8 verse 3, Job 40 verse 6, Psalm 11 verse 7, Psalm 45 verse 6, Isaiah 51 verse 6, Isaiah 30, 18, Zephaniah 3, 5, or countless other passages all throughout Scripture all point us to the fact that God is just. Old Testament, New Testament, it does not matter. You can find countless places where Scripture will say God is just. And I could preach through a bunch of them for you and draw things out from each of these verses for you this morning, but that's not what I want to do. Because I think if we want to look at one single place where we can point to, where we can stop, where we can camp on and see what God's justice looks like, there's one place that we need to look, and it's the cross of Christ. That we need to look at Jesus Christ on the cross, and that will give us a picture of what God's justice looks like. And we go here because there's no greater picture of God's justice and how at its how it's a core part of who he he is, and yet how he loves us in the midst of it than the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is the greatest picture of God's justice because it's God holding himself accountable. I would think that if, if you were God or if I were God and you made the rules you could maybe think of another easier way than death on the cross. I mean, it's not that God missed the mark. He didn't mess up, which necessitated his death. It's not that God missed the mark. It's us. It's people. It's not that God didn't measure up. It's that we didn't measure up. We as people. Couldn't you... As God, just make another rule. Roll it back and make a proclamation that says, I, as God, the wages of sin is a deep and sincere apology. Or maybe you just stand up and you say, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. You're all, everybody's set free. You can all come out now. It's okay. Maybe you can just say, you know what? I'm going to change what sin is so that you can all be free. 
that, that the things that, other than maybe the very, very, very worst of you. You know what, lying, if you did it for the right reasons, it's okay. Stealing, well, you really did want it, and, and the Lord will provide, so... Okay, you can come on into that. That if you're God and you're looking at, at this and you're seeing all that's going on, and you think, God, you, you're God, you could do something to change this. But what we see here is a God that is perfect in his holiness and perfect in his justice. And what that means is that he cannot compromise those two things to have a relationship with an absolutely not perfect and not holy people. That God cannot, will not compromise his holiness and his justice to make room for you and I. That his holiness and his justice stand upright without bending and without wavering, even in the face of his love for us. And for us to have a relationship with God, our test score has to be 100%. And here's the rub. There's just one question. Are you holy? And in and of ourselves... We can't answer that question correctly. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But sometimes we can think that we are 70 or maybe 80% of the way there. But the only two options, if there's one question, is you're either zero or 100. You can't be somewhere in between. You're either 0% or 100%, and not one of us is 100%. It is simply a pass-fail question on whether or not I can have a relationship with a holy God even in and of myself. So even if your hero in the faith is Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or the Apostle Paul and we would look at them and say they're the top 95% of all of humanity. They still fall short. Scripture will say for all have sinned and fallen short. How many is all? All is all. Who is all? All is all. Are you all? Is Billy Graham all? Is the Apostle Paul all? We all have fallen sin fallen short of the glory of God. We all have fallen into sin. And so the cross is God's way to remain just and to be the justifier, allowing Christ to do for you and for me and for everyone in the world who has ever lived to absorb or to cover. The Bible word that we use here is atone, to cover over your sin. We cannot get there in and of ourselves. And God's holiness and his righteousness and his justice cannot be compromised in order to get us there. So the only way for us to be brought there is for the holy, righteous, just God to make a way for a sinful, fallen people to get there. And he does that through atoning for our sins. 
And this is where we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And we're going to move very slowly through this verse to get a real picture of what we're seeing here. I want to invite you, if you've got a pen or a pencil, or if you're taking notes, or if you can make notes in your Bible app, because I'm going to ask you to mark up your Bible or your notes or whatever, because this really matters. The verse begins like this. For Christ also died for sins. I want to pause here and highlight for you, or even ask you to do this. Maybe circle the word for in your Bible. Because this word specifically matters. Because this word fully pulled out in translation means for you or in your place. So it's not just a generic, he died for sins. It's saying he, for Christ also died in your, for your sins, in your place, for, for your sins. In other words, he was your substitute. Christ died for your sins and for my sins. The verse continues, for Christ also died for sins, oh, for you, in your place, once and for all. We talked about this just a minute ago. Who is all? All is all. Are you all? Yes, you, you are all. For Christ also died in your place for your sins once for all. For all of us. You are included in that. Even if you would say, I don't know about me. Yes, you are all. All means all. For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He is the just, we are the unjust. The un or the righteous died for the unrighteous. And then Peter gives us the reason for this. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that, put a little bracket around or underline, so that, why did Christ die? Why did the just die for the unjust? Why would the righteous die for the unrighteous? Why would this, he did that so that, listen, for Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might Bring us to God. He didn't die because we earned it. He didn't die because we deserved it. He died because he loves you and wants to be with you. And the only way for him to be with you, the only way for the love of the unjust father to bring, or sorry, the love of the just father to bring the unjust to him was that for him to die, for the just, for the righteous to die for the unrighteous. It is amazing. There was no way for the unjust to make it to the just. It was not able to flow that way. The only way for us, the unjust, to come to God, the just, was for the just to pay for the unjust. So above, around, under the word us, I want you to make a note, write the word, something to note that us is unjust. Unrighteous. We are unjust and we are unrighteous. And where it says he, write the word, make a note, whatever, the word just or righteous. 
He is just, he is righteous, and he is perfect. And then where it says God, write the word, make the note, whatever, justifier. This is a transformation that takes place. Do you know what this is? This is the gospel. This isn't, or sorry, this is the good news. This isn't try hard. This isn't go to church a lot. This isn't give to the United Way. This isn't be a little more moral than other people. This isn't that. This is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, of the perfect standard of God. We all fall short and that the wages of sin is death. But there is another choice. There is the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's justice will have all of us, every one of us, standing before him one day. And in that moment, we will all have the recognition, I have fallen short. Confession, recognition, you are just, I am unholy. And in your justice, you will give me what I deserve. You will give me my zero percent and you will judge my sin. But God also gives us another way. He invites us to hide ourselves under the cross. The word atone means to cover. That he will cover us under the cross. I am going to accept the free gift of Christ to cover my sins once and for all. And so with the empty hands of faith, I confess my sin. And I turn and I place my faith and I entrust my future and my life to God. And when I do that, the Bible says that I'm taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. And the Spirit of God enters my mortal body and I begin a new life with him. We are given another option. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. This is the amazing picture of God and his justice. What the holiness and justice of God demanded, the love and grace of God provided. God's justice and God's grace walk hand in hand for us. God's justice puts God's grace on full and grand display. And if God sacrificed or pulled away from his justice, if God compromised his justice and his holiness, if God pulled it away at all, then his grace doesn't matter. But in God's justice and his holiness, we experience God's grace. And so when we ask ourselves, when we look at our lives, when we look at our situations, when we look at the things we face, and we ask ourselves, does God care? Why does God not seem to be fair, to be just? We can know that God cares so much about justice that he was willing to sacrifice his son for it. That he was not willing to withhold anything, even from his own self, to fulfill his justice. But in his grace and his mercy, he offers us forgiveness. He offers us an opportunity to have something different. God has, in fact, 
held himself to his own standard at the cost of God the Son dying in your place. Friends, what a difference eternal salvation can make in our daily lives if we allow it to affect our lives and our perceptions daily. Jesus Christ dying on the cross means something for you. And it's not limited to something that happened 2,000 years ago and something I'll see the benefits of when I die. It means it's not a hope or belief in something that happened back then. It's a reality that is alive. It's dynamic. And it's at work in our world and it's at work in your life today. For you today, the salvation that you have means that you can know you are loved. It means that you can know that you are valued. It means that you know that you have a hope and a future. And it means that you can be confident that you serve a God, a heavenly father that is so passionate about justice that he knew for a holy God your sins demanded death and so passionate about grace that he was willing to have it be his son rather than you. Caught up in your Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family we go. Another song, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Once I, when I've come with my agenda, I'm sorry when I forgot. Jesus.
I just wanna see. 